Welcome to the second episode of A Very Venture Watch. My name is Connor. I'm one third of your host. Whether you're watching the show for the first time or the hundredth, we're here to walk you through the seven seasons of our favorite show and talk about some of our favorite moments, favorite developments, and our overall appreciation of the Venture Brothers. After receiving the unfortunate news of the show's unexpected cancellation, the three of us decided to turn devastation into something productive. So let's get started, and Aaron, why don't you tell us about the episode we're going to be talking about today? On this episode, we're going to be discussing the first episode of the first season, Dia de los Dangerous, written by Jackson Public, in which Rusty, Brock, and the boys take it down to Mexico. The boys are back in town, Tijuana that is, <laughs> and they get some sombreros and sugar skulls, but they lose some kidneys. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it's there's something for everybody in this one. There's some there's kidneys for all. Yeah. Specifically rusty. rusty. Yeah. <laughs> just just two of them. <laughs> yeah, just two. Well, I mean, all in all there are four kidneys at three kidneys at play right. in the episode. And then he loses the one. Yeah. That's true. Okay. I'm sorry, I jumped but the I gun we'll by there. bringing up the kidneys. Yeah, no, we'll that, get there. I mean, it, <laughs> it's fine. No, I know. It's not, we're, we're, you know, we'll just talk more in detail when we get there. Exactly. But yeah, this is like the first episode proper of the series, though. Yeah. Yeah. The, the pilot, I don't believe the pilot aired. So this is... Oh, okay. Um, this is the introduction to the venture brothers really like the world's introduction to the venture brothers for the most part good for them and fun fact dia de los dangerous translated is day of the dangerous for those that don't know i did not realize that yeah that's really interesting (laughs) i think that kind of pain i can't you know what i can we can we come back and record this tomorrow i feel like i need to rewatch the episode knowing (laughs) with that that in mind yeah yeah because all of my notes (laughs) seem wrong now right right i misread the prompt um but yeah so this is this one just to me feels so much more like the venture brothers we know and love yes yeah and i think that that is also supported by um there's something that uh doc hammer says in the the book i think we might have mentioned the book last time it's a go team venture the art and making of the venture brothers where ken plume interviews doc and jackson about pretty much every single episode from the pilot through season six uh it's wonderfully detailed i could take notes about it like i could take notes on pretty much every fucking line Mm -hmm. uh so i had to pull my punches but Doc says, I like the pilot. It isn't the show we made, but I like the pilot. So, like, it's, I think they definitely know. And so, this also had, like, it was 2003 when the pilot uh, is from, right? When Adult Swim was shown the pilot, 2003. Three? You would think I, think I would have looked that up in between recording episodes, I think but two, I still haven't. I think 2003 was what we landed on I think, last yeah, time. I believe it was 2003, and then the show uh, began airing in 2005. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So between that time, uh, and we, I think we talked about this a little last time, but Doc Hammer was not really involved much in yeah. the pilot outside of... Um, editing it uh and i'd also learned some uh he did do some behind the scenes stuff as well and that's kind of how he became involved in the show in the first place 
Um, but he hadn't fully marinated the Venture Brothers in that hammer secret sauce yet. Oh, no. <laughs> until <laughs> Dia de los Dangerous. That's definitely, I think that's definitely why it feels that way. Do yeah. you guys mind if I get into a little bit of Doc, how Doc Hammer No, that's okay. Board? I think he, yeah. it's an important thing to mention the oh, elements yeah. that he brings so to the show. So it was, I, they were, um, they'd known each other already. Doc and Jackson had known each other already through Ben Edlund, who is the creator of The Tick. And also the only person outside of Docker Jackson who has any writing credits on the Venture Brothers. Oh, wow. Um, so he wrote uh, Viva Los Muertos, in which he also provides the voice for Venture Sign, um, <laughs> which is I really, I think, one of the great performances on the show. Yeah, And absolutely. we talked about last time that uh, Jackson Public, a.k.a. Chris McCullough, worked on The Tick. And that's how he knew Ben Edlund. Uh, but Edlund also is credited uh, as to writing the stories for Guess Who's Coming to State Dinner, as well as Careers in Science, which oh, is the okay. episode we're going to be discussing next week. And in my opinion, one of the all-time great Venture yes. Brothers episodes. I think we can all agree on that. We, oui. but um, You think so, but you'd be surprised. <laughs> so Doc had been like renting the Astro Base already as a art studio because he's a painter and he's a musician and he had the you know because he so he does a lot of the visual effects on the show so he kind of had a knowledge of computer programs and things that jackson didn't he's an after effects wizard i would say so that's (laughs) but um he helped jackson in just like doing the technical work and putting together the pitch book and then he ended up editing the Pilot? Pilot as well. I don't think he was very involved. Uh, they ta- He talks in a lot of detail about it in uh, the uh, Ken Plume book. But um, but here's the thing about the Ken Plume book. You can't read it while you're washing dishes, yeah, no, which is why you're here. Um, he talks about it. But so he was, you know, he's a musician. So he was touring and stuff at the time, too. He ended up editing the episode. Um but so he had already had like the Astro Base as a studio and he had already named it the Astro Base because he's Doc Hammer. So he's just that w- weird guy who yes. has like a very strange sense of humor that <laughs> we love so much. Because um, we personally, sorry to interrupt, yeah, but yeah. we personally wouldn't name like, like we wouldn't name this the Lightning Dome where we're recording now. <laughs> Why not? Be, What's stopping not, us though? We totally record. have. It's okay. definitely not on record. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so... Jackson uh, started working on, like, Venture Brother stuff, or, you know, writing and different things, whatever he was working on. He started using a desk at the Astro Base. And a lot of the Venture Brothers just came from, like, Doc and Jackson, like, riffing with each other. Yeah. And they talk about that in the commentaries of a lot of episodes, too. Goofing around on the big board. Like, <laughs> yeah, or, like, you know, like, them walking down the street talking to each other as as Pete and Billy, you know? <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, like, we just wrote a, a scene that ends up in the show. It uh, really is a good marriage of, like, funny bits that, like, best friends would do with each other mixed with like supreme writing talent yeah it's an excellent like marriage of those two elements you know yeah Mm -hmm. i find i yeah everything just kind of comes naturally nothing ever feels contrived in the dialogue or the story actually um i had like a thought about it that i tried to put into words is that i've not it's not 
that I love every single thing that has ever been in this show, but I've never been disappointed by it. Yeah. Which I think is an important distinction. Yeah, absolutely. Which is saying a lot for a lot of shows are disappointing. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think that, I don't, I mean, there are certain, I think there are certain jokes and things where it's looking back, it may seem like it's like regrettable, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. I don't want to say that it's like not disappointing, but it's it's just so it. I don't know. It's hard to at a things yeah, don't fall <laughs> flat at a rate that other cartoons would. Like there's definitely yeah. things that are like way more problematic with hindsight, you yeah. know, for oh, sure. sure. But I think what Aaron's saying is like there's so many jokes that hit, and oh, even if yeah, it doesn't yeah. like, it's not like a rock star joke it's still like you can appreciate it for the most part yeah barring the stuff that like you know is yeah. regrettable yeah. Let's say. <laughs> like otaku senzuri for example right. yeah yeah we talked about that a lot last yeah. time and if you haven't listened to that episode i mean like i guess that's fair you know a lot of people <laughs> skip the pilot of things mm-hmm. and we're glad you're here now I'm, i was gonna shame yeah. you but i turned around on it, it. is yeah. i will say and i think i said it last time but it's just weird that hulu has the pilot as the first episode i don't know if we talked about that on the podcast or afterwards but if you start the show on hulu the first episode it it shows you as the pilot yeah. which is really weird it is weird. I'm glad it's available, but it is strange that that's like the intro for a lot of people. Yeah, I'm. I wonder if it's like prevented a lot of people from getting into it. Yeah, I, I feel like it's kind of a common thing for people to give shows more than one episode. Yeah, you know, and like I think that like you know, Dia de los Dangerous is not my favorite episode mm-hmm. of the show at all, but. Um, but like there's you're a clear saying, jump, you know, yeah. in, from the pilot to, like, the show that it actually is. And like you're saying at the beginning of this episode, I was surprised re-watching it how much, like, Venture DNA is present. Oh, yeah. It does not feel like... The pilot feels more removed from, like, the tone of the show and the character stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised how, like, how Venture, like, this episode was... Even down to, I feel like a common complaint lobbied at the early seasons is how similar the boys are in yeah. terms of character. But even this first episode does a lot to like distinct, um, distinguish oh, yeah, the abs- boys from each other. Yeah, with and- Dean being kind of like the more brainy one, mm-hmm. and Hank can't even like comprehend why they would take helper to the auto shop. <laughs> oh yeah, to exactly. Buy him car that, paint. That's what I had. I actually I wrote that down specifically. Um, what did Hank said? Oh yeah, because um, Dean Dean suggests doing something for so, like somebody else, and Hank's response is like, "What brown noser?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like it like right yeah. there, you know, it's He's establishing himself as the the they, bad one. They are yeah. yeah exactly. They're as similar as they are. They are very. They are like right off the bat. You can and you can see that that's what sets them on. Like they're both already on the paths yeah. that they like move forward on. Yeah. Um. Obviously, they move farther from each other as the show goes on. And like we were talking about last time about what what the pilot did to set up things really well. I think that this episode does an even better job mm-hmm. to set up. Um. Particularly, we were talking about brock and how different he's become yeah um i think that this episode does is a much better introduction to him and just does a better job overall of 
just giving you very solid ideas of who these characters are. Mm-hmm. Um, like before we even know anything about them, I feel like it does a good job of doing that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the very first scene of yeah. this episode with Brock and the uh, jump right in? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I like that it, I like the scene because it feels like a spaghetti Western and <laughs> like right off the bat, it's just like they're impressive. The way that they have control over the tone of the show where they can do things like that and it doesn't feel like um like out of place you know right it's not like a chicken fight in family guy you know it doesn't feel also like they're doing a spaghetti western it's just like that's what it feels like exactly and the subtle musical cue in the background like tips towards that but Mm -hmm. it also feels like its own thing Yeah. yeah and i really like how um, there's Brock is basically there. Are they playing? They're playing like strip poker or something like that. Yeah. Brock loses his underwear. <laughs> and I appreciate that you see his. I think this is one of the few times we see his beautiful bottom. It's very nice. And actually, I stopped the episode to draw it. I, because, I got good. to see this Thank drawing you. before Connor's uh, showing us. It's a drawing of Brock's butt. We should really upload all it, the yeah. extra images and notes that it, we have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's I, I'm so bad about remembering the Twitter handle, but it's at VeryVenturePod, right? Yes. Yeah, so that's where you'll see my, my Brock butt doodle. <laughs> Rock and roll. Um, the first of many, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The rest might have to come from your imagination, Yeah, I believe in you. <laughs> Thank you. Because honestly, like I don't think I did it justice. I I don't think it's good yeah. enough. You really got to um, see that in full color. Yeah. <laughs> also, when I paused that moment to draw it, you can see they they did a thing because when Venture Brothers aired, most cartoons were in that four by three aspect ratio. Yeah. So going back to the spaghetti western thing to make it appear more cinematic, the intro scene is letterboxed. They do that a lot with a lot yeah. of their intro scenes. I don't know if it's every one, but. I think yeah. early on they did it mm-hmm. quite often in the cold open. Yeah, I think pretty much all their early cold opens have it. So I paused it, and they have subtitles in like the lower <laughs> margin of the screen. Yeah, and I wrote it down, and we're just gonna have to tweet this because it's like not set up for an audio format. But they write out. Uh, I gotta, I gotta find my page where I wrote it down. Okay, it's with four a's and i never realized like how goofy they got with writing the subtitle down and i would not have noticed that had i not paused to admire the beautiful brock butt so what have we learned take the time to look at brock's butt if you Mm -hmm. have the chance because you might learn something yeah you might get a little (laughs) extra joke um but yeah, so that also, I think that scene is very, uh, it's, it's, uh, I don't know if it's quite as, uh, problematic as some of the stuff that from the first episode, right? but, um, there's definitely instances in the first scene where I'm like, oh, okay. It's, it's, def- it's played very stereotypically. Yeah. Um, like all the background characters are wearing Mexican wrestling costumes. Yeah. And most of the most of the Mexican characters in the episode are played by white people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I looked at the credits, and I think one person is Hispanic, but for the most part, it's Chris McCullough yeah. uh, doing those characters of Michael Center Nicholas, who plays Dean. And I also feel well. For one, I want to talk about how you were saying, Max, in the pilot episode, how Brock his murderous rage yeah. is like more psychopathic, and it definitely like he does get like the bloodlust. 
but he is way more restrained and calculated in this opening scene where he takes out all these people. Oh, absolutely. It's much calmer and feels more brockish. Yeah, he's say. like a professional, and we can see that very clearly from this particular slaughtering. And yeah. we also get to see a little bit of his softer side with the uh, the Mean Joe Green uh, uh, com- the, the reference to that commercial. You guys... No, I don't, oh, I'm not familiar. So it's in the episode, he throws the kid his, you know, shirt or whatever. Oh, it's I got the, the yeah. Coke commercial where the little kid, like, talking to the football player, is a good game, Mean Joe, and he lets him finish his Coke. And then Mean Joe's like, hey, kid, catch. He throws him his jersey. Oh. It's like a Coke commercial from the 80s. <laughs> yeah. But um, we get to see a little bit of Brock's softer side because uh, that one guy is like, take me with you. And he's like... Uh, sorry man yeah and he lights a cigarette he's like hey kid catch and throws him his shirt (laughs) and it's you know it's there later too um it's just like brock's first instinct is always the boy's safety yeah um and that's that's really that like comes into play in this episode like right away um it's one of the things that they want to make clear about that character and I think it's we were talking about this a little bit on the first episode. Uh, well, just real quick with the opening scene, I like how what ends the fight is Brock brandishes his t-shirt. <laughs> he shows the guy his t-shirt and he's like, as if to say, I'm going to use the t-shirt next to murder you. <laughs> yeah. And just him holding up his t-shirt. The guy's like, OK, OK, it's good. <laughs> That's it's, not how I want to die. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but you were Max, you were saying on the first episode how Brock is like way more openly callous towards Rusty being like, oh, hey, Brock, check out this thing in the lab. Yeah. He's like, oh, I really don't care. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's sweet that I feel like in my head canon, Brock feels bad about that. So when yeah. Rusty leaves his class mm. at the college mm-hmm. and he's like, hey, how'd your, uh, how'd your thing go? He's, like, trying to make up for it. Yeah. yeah. Like, right. he, he's at least trying to pretend to yeah. care, you know? And you get it from both sides. Um, I don't know. I want to skip ahead, and I'm not going to really ruin anything. No, let's skip ahead. Hopefully, at this point, you've yeah. watched the episode. We'll jump back. Yeah. I yeah. just want to say real quick, the flying pope zapping the church with a lightning bolt on the <laughs> oh. blackboard by yeah. Rusty. <laughs> I we think will that get into it's that. wonderful. I I want to get a tattoo of it. On oh, that would be awesome! You should definitely do that. I might. I think I'm seriously considering it. I I vote yes. Cool. But I was saying later in the episode, we get it from Rusty's side as well when he thinks that Brock is dead and he's made him an entire fucking shrine. Yeah, yeah. and, and he's like my beautiful guardian angel. Angel. <laughs> the, and there's so much of this episode plays into Rusty's. Uh, insane ignorance and ego, right? And even that scene, he's he's like he says something about how his like he believes that his shrine brought you back, brought Brock back to life, <laughs> and he actually says in that scene, "Where was I when you needed me most?" As if. <laughs> There is any <laughs> fucking situation that would have ever arisen where Doc would not have, like, so the boys get Run kidnapped in that instance. He would have gotten kidnapped too. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's nothing he would have done. No. He and would he, have cowered in fear. But he establishes it's hysterical. at the beginning when he's teaching that class that he's, like, atheist because he says something about the Catholic Church and everything. And then he also insists that a shrine brought somebody back to life. <laughs> so I feel like he's, he's very drunk in that scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I do feel like his belief. Beliefs change to suit his needs. Oh, without a doubt. 
also speaking to that scene the bit is we come into the class like kind of at the end of the class right mm-hmm. and he says when you apply the scientific method to the chupacabra you can deduce that it's not real and a funny thing happens when you apply the same <laughs> thing to the catholic church right yeah. and that's when we get the reveal of the pope drawing which we'll throw that up on social media too in case you didn't catch that little drawing mm-hmm. and i think it's interesting because it's a floating pope and there's lightning coming out of a shepherd's staff yeah. that's going to the top of a church steeple. So I don't know if the Pope is attacking the church with yeah. lightning or drawing power from the church no to supercharge his what shepherd's staff. But also, it's great uh, that later on, Rusty is attacked by a chupacabra. Yeah, yep. that's what I was going to say. In between him being like clearly atheist and saying like the Catholic church is bullshit mm. and him getting super drunk on tequila and believing the shrine is working. He has that chupacabra encounter. I, so I think that kind of set something off where I he's think, like, Oh, well maybe the shrine is real. I think yeah. the chupacabra thing happens after because it's when oh. they're in the X one. Yeah, no, you're right. When they're going to get the boys and Brock's like, how long can you live when you're not hooked up to him? Yeah. Which is him being helper. Mm-hmm. This is Helper's first appearance. Introducing Soulbot as Helper. Goddamn right. Um, so yeah, I I love Helper. I love Helper him is too. one of my favorite characters on the show. Um, do we ever do we know what Helper is an acronym for? Because it is, it's like it it, it's written out as an acronym. But it, we they definitely not, say it at some point. But I do not remember. Yeah, we didn't prep that. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. You gotta, that's but your whole. You know work. what? Yeah. I think he probably. I think Rusty probably says it in Home Insecurity. Yeah, yeah that, so that's that a couple of sense. episodes away anyway. Because we'll I get to it. I wrote the credits down because I wanted to talk about the credit that says and introducing Soulbot as helper. I wrote that one down um, too. And the acronym is interesting because. It's each letter of the word, mm-hmm. but the ER is its own separate acronym. Yeah. It's like a lowercase e, capital R. Yeah. So I was really curious to see what that stood for, mm-hmm. and then I went to bed instead of looking at it. <laughs> so they do that I, again yeah, with the problem. So. With, yeah, oh, I was yeah. going to say, well, that's something that we don't want to necessarily get into. No, I know. I'm just... But um, <laughs> I, I, well, I was going to say that they reverse engine. I think that they reverse engineer yeah. their... Uh, oh, they acronyms. Have to. <laughs> it's no like, way. all right, how do we make this word into an acronym? So Who sometimes it's like, you know. Yeah. How can you not, like, these there's three letters are an abbreviation for something, and then the rest of it works. <laughs> it would be insane if they, like, wrote out the acronym and were like, oh, shit, this spells problem. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh-huh. Which is not really a word nope. pronounced no. that way. <laughs> nope. I mean, I guess it depends on who you are. I can hear some people saying it. In some my, people say Mario, and I don't... I, not to attack those people, but I don't understand. I'll attack those people. Okay. Just, Where then, are they? Then you would say Mario Kart? Yeah. Mario Kart? Mario I feel like Kart. I want it to be the same that. ah sound. Yeah. <laughs> you play Mario Kart. <laughs> um, but I love that one of the illustrations of how ignorant the boys are is hank asking if a butterfly is poisonous <laughs> yeah yeah and the the i think he doesn't have a name i think he's just like university advisor yeah i just assumed he was like the dean of students or something yeah he's i, I wrote down the credit and i should consult my notes before i just say the the thing i'm thinking of right but right. he looks at it's hank who says that right mm-hmm. he just looks at me he's like are you are you serious? Like, are you for You're real kidding, right now? Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, also in that scene, to um, I think it the when Rusty's teaching the class, it does a good job of illustrating 
like we keep mentioning this Rusty's ignorance mm-hmm. where he doesn't know it's Day of the Dead and he's informed that's Day of the Dead and he says what's the line you remember he, better than he, I do he says oh that crazy dead people Christmas you people celebrate <laughs> yeah and I think we talk about problematic jokes on the show. Mm-hmm. I think that one is very clearly like, oh, we're laughing at Rusty's ignorance. Yeah, there's yeah, a right? lot. A lot of this episode is like Rusty has a very like stereotypical and racist understanding of Mexico, yeah. and it, every time he tries to like make that work in his favor, it backfires. Yeah. Like when he, he just comes off as an ignorant dickhead. Yeah, when he sees the the check he's presented with, and he's like, "Oh, how generous! Oh, these are pesos. All these zeros are meaningless." <laughs> yeah, and I think it's funny because uh, in the the musical smash hit Hamilton, <sighs> Hamilton punches right. the because Rusty I'll see says, you "Guys, next time, <laughs> Rusty, um, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, everybody." Yeah, uh, Rusty, you want to know what I want for Christmas, Connor? What to not hear about Hamilton? Yeah, listen, uh, Santa's going to disappoint you this year. Uh, I, I hate <laughs> to right. say it. Well, I guess it's only October, so because Rusty <laughs> asks whether he's going to get check in the mail, or go to the bursar's office, and in the Smash Broadway hit Hamilton. Hamilton punches the bursar, I believe at King's College, but that didn't happen in real life. Lynn Manuel Miranda just like that rhyme structure of I punch the bursar, sir. And it's relevant to this episode because he tries to bribe the doctor, the Tijuana doctor with Hamilton. So uh, it's relevant to bring up in this context. Sure, fine. All right. It's <laughs> a um, conspiracy at play here. But okay. <laughs> but so the butterfly that lands on Doc's jacket is a um a spy camera for yes. the Mighty Monarch, which we then get like our official like introduction into like the new monarch yeah costume and, and you know the henchman and Doctor Girlfriend. Yeah, their dynamic is very much established. Um like, you can see that she kind of know- is the brains of the operation immediately. Yeah. Like, knows the names and numbers of the henchmen better than he does. Also, she's exactly. a doctor. <laughs> well, so, what he 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 darts one of them, right? Number 37. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. but he doesn't know the number, and she, like, is sitting at the computer behind <laughs> him. And she's, like, without even looking up. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, like, very clear right away that Dr. Girlfriend is... She's the one who keeps the monarchs, like successful villainy in organ like yeah. in organization because that guy gets started because the monarch assumes just because rusty is there in town at the same time that one of the henchmen let it slip that they'd be there and so he asks someone to step forward and 37 just coughs and he darts him and says i knew it was you <laughs> so it's very clear that he's just operating off of like emotional impulse oh yeah and yeah. irrationality Whereas Dr. Girlfriend's like, like you were saying, the brains behind the operation. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I first started watching it, I kind of, I didn't like the fact that she, it was sort of like a thankless job for her to just yeah. be like keeping him in check. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's such like a stereotypical, like woman character trait. But I think, I mean, over the seasons that definitely kind of changes. She becomes like her more of her own sort of agent well i think that if we want to look at it from like an overarching like story standpoint what we see happen you know because so they break up at the end of this season spoiler alert sorry um (laughs) but and then obviously you know when they do get back together uh, another spoiler alert again sorry um but 
I think that we can attribute the fact that you know he he treats her very much like he he takes he treats he bleh, <laughs> he takes her for granted. Yes. And I think that that plays a lot into what happens in the overarching story. Absolutely. Which yeah. is I don't know if it's something that they considered like immediately but they're also you know they're very sensitive writers where in that i feel like they care about all of their characters yes you know they didn't want her to just be that i think the name dr girlfriend is probably you know an ironic spin on her you know like the girlfriend Uh, character oh without a doubt so and i feel like i'm still trying to figure out how to incorporate this message into the podcast where we're gonna we're gonna spoil later seasons but not anything like major, major. Yeah, we've just given like, ourselves rules about certain things we're not allowed to talk about. Yeah. So if you're, if we say something, we deem it that something. Even if you haven't gotten to that point, it won't really. We don't think it'll ruin your experience watching right. the show. But just to talk about, it's interesting to talk about the context of she is a really thankless role at first. Mm-hmm. But there's this really nice arch of them separating, coming back together. And that culminates in a partnership. Mm, yes. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I think I, that's what I think separates this show from other shows, whereas another sitcom would keep her in that role, right? Oh, absolutely. But this treats her as a person with autonomy and agency who would ultimately be disappointed that she's in such a thankless role mm-hmm. and leave. And the monarch has to reckon with what he did to cause her to leave. And they come to a mutual understanding and, you know, he grows, and they come back together, and it's beautiful, and I love yes. it. Yes. <laughs> I think with, as, long, as far as the spoilers go, I don't remember if I said this last time actually in the podcast or just in conversation, that the reason that I think some of the reveals aren't going to ruin anybody's experience is because the show doesn't typically rely on them for mm. being entertaining. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The larger ones, you know, are kind yeah, of Yeah, like, I mean, there are moments where yeah. it's like, we don't want to tell you. What? <laughs> But it's more just like, it's like character development stuff, right? Yeah. Like them, the whole monarch, Dr. Girlfriend, yeah. their whole arc is just, and you don't get that full experience unless you're watching it. Yeah. So it's, and the first episode I saw the show, which I spoiled in the first episode, yeah. was the fact that the boys died and are clones. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's how I came into this show, right? Yeah. So I it's don't think. It's an enormous spoiler right there. Yeah. And I still love the show and appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And there's so much more to take from it than just like, you know, plot reveals and twists and stuff. Right. Yeah. So I like that we we talked about how in Turtle Bay, it really feels like Doc just fucking hates the boys. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and in this one, it just feels way more like, um, like he's annoyed by them and they're, it's inconvenient to him that they are around. But he doesn't hate them. I will say, though, the boys, when the boys pop up in this episode, it's after Doc teaches his class. Yeah. He's outside getting his check. Mm -hmm. And the boys kind of like almost sneak up behind him and they say in unison, hey, Pop. And Doc recoils and says, (laughs) oh, he is like physically repulsed that they are near him. So it's definitely not as callous as it's, the first episode, mm-hmm. but he still has like a physical aversion to yeah. his son. Oh, still, without a doubt. One could argue that that jumpiness is like a PTSD reaction I to think, any sort yeah. of unexpected thing. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. But I also think it's because he is a bad dad. Oh, without yeah. a doubt. But I think here they also start to contextualize that Rusty 
has a lot of issues. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, you know, obviously with going to see he a has doctor for disorder. however many fucking, <laughs> um, however many fucking uh, prescriptions that he's looking for. But uh, there is also there is a um, a a a womb dream at a certain point. Yes, I think is that the first one. There wasn't one in the pilot. Was there, there was, was one in the pilot, brief. but JJ wasn't in it. It was just Rusty just in the womb. But in this one, it's uh, JJ gnawing on <laughs> Rusty's behind. Is it the dream Rusty has when he is knocked out from having his kidney removed? Yeah, he wakes up in the bathtub full of ice and is very like casually just like, oh, not again. Which is such a great joke because he says he's got a piece of loose leaf taped to his chest that says, we took one of your kidneys. Please seek immediate medical attention. Uh He says, oh, no, not again. And a light bulb goes off in Rusty's head where he checks both (laughs) scars. Yeah. like one, A new one and an old faded one. Yeah. And realizes like, oh, fuck, I have no (laughs) kidneys in my body. And he takes it very well. Yeah. He just says, huh. That's a problem. <laughs> He's like, and then he just turns. Um, he, he turns helper turns, into a dialysis. Yeah, machine. exactly. It's wonderful. It's but so I just gross. I wrote it's down awesome. that Rusty's life is just so like full of trauma from all of the world travel that Jonas put him through that something like that can happen, and he's just like, oh God, like ah fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, another thing i just gotta this just it's a tuesday mm-hmm. you gotta deal with it it's something that i think science he knows a way it can fix and that's like the one thing he actually believes in solidly so he's like well i know what a dialysis machine is and it's yeah. like so. one of the instances where we get to see rusty be capable yes which is few and far between but like when it usually if it services him then he's yeah. able to do it. Yeah. Less so in the later seasons. I think he, with the advent of Pete and Billy helping him, <laughs> he becomes a, a better scientist. He does. Absolutely. But, and, but also a better person as oh, well. Yeah. And I think that plays into him becoming a better scientist because he's less living in the shadow of his father and is just like, fuck that guy. I'm just going to be my own scientist. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think we sh- all should be our own scientists. Yeah. Yes. And oh. there's also a lesson to be learned about, like, things are better with collaboration, right? Like, yeah. if I was doing this oh, podcast sure. solo, it would be bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I think that's something else that's interesting that they get to right away in this episode is that Monarch is not able to really, like, express why he hates Rusty. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just like this insane, like, emotional grudge. Like, he knows it's there, but there aren't words that exist to describe it. Yeah. And I just, maybe because he, like I, like, I think that Monarch himself, like, and they talk about it, like, later on. Like, at this, like, he doesn't know why he hates Rusty at this point. All he does, all he knows is that he does hate him. Mm-hmm. And that's such a part of his identity. That he's kind of forgotten <laughs> where it came from. Yeah. And also, I think we were talking about how it's kind of hard to recommend the show to people because it takes a while to get into mm-hmm. and for people to fully appreciate like the character arcs. And my big thing with this episode, just to put a pin in what we're talking about with the dialysis machine, yeah. is the running gag of like Helper is on basically like the little 
like chair wheels, right? Yeah. So if Rusty gets too far ahead, his tubes will pop out and blood sprays everywhere. Yeah. And it's very funny, mm-hmm. but showing being like sitting someone down and being like, "Hey, watch this cartoon with me." Uh-huh. And so much of the episode is Rusty's blood just like <laughs> spurting out of him yeah. is like I feel like one of the biggest hurdles of recommending the show. <laughs> I really like that you brought up that scene because I think that one of the something that it does really well is illustrate how Rusty's arrogance is almost always immediately shit on. Yeah. Like yeah. he's like, "Yep, I fucking made you into a dialysis machine." And then he walks a little too far away. <laughs> and just and like, the it, like pop bleeding out. like immediate crazy. payback for his hubris. Yeah. <laughs> I like when he invokes the hubris. Um, He does so at Brock's grave, I believe, at a certain point. Oh, yeah, like like how he thinks it's his fault. for. Oh, God, you're a zombie or something. I never (laughs) should have played God. Oh, the folly of it. The hubris. (laughs) You were an angel. My guardian angel. I love Urbaniac drunk. Oh, that's something else that I looked up, too, is that Jackson knew he wanted James Urbaniac as Doc from... It was a a sketch he saw him in where he played Samuel Beckett rap-battling Mickey Mouse. Oh, okay. I'm just going to leave that there. Yeah. And... But, uh, Is that then available he, to watch somewhere? No, unfortunately Damn. not. Doc saw it. He, so, no, not Doc. Jackson saw it live. And then he, oh like, God. knew, like, the person who wrote the sketch. And then he saw Henry Fool and was like, oh, hey, that's him. And reached out and was like, hey, where you know your friend who was in Henry Fool and he was in that one thing? And then he, you know. So I thought it, I think it's cool that he had the perfect casting in mind for yeah. doc from the beginning yeah um and i don't do we did we talk about that last time do we just want no. to take a minute to talk about how wonderful james urbaniac is as doc venture oh he's um, i can't like <laughs> there's like he's it's, incredible <laughs> it's really one of the greatest voice acting performances i can think of because it doesn't sound like a voice acting performance you yeah. know yeah like chris mccullough's great and doc hammer's great you know it's all really well directed and stuff but there is something that james urbaniac captures in the energy of of rusty venture that is so like natural yeah that it just doesn't feel like he's in a studio it feels like they did it wes anderson style where he was just like <laughs> on location you know mic'd up like they were shooting it he his delivery is so good that like even when he's not saying anything that's not even when he's not delivering a joke i find that um just it just makes me laugh because of the way he just his timing is so perfect and i think there are like multiple schools of comedy right and there are the people who like ham it up right especially in cartoons like mm-hmm. you go big and you go broad um but there's also i hear from a lot of people saying it's funnier if you play it as if you're doing something dramatic yeah you know like if you play it as like a dramatic actor Mm -hmm. the absurdity of it comes across even more because you're connecting on that real human emotional level and it just emphasizes like how absurd it is that this guy is like missing both of his kidneys yeah has to hook himself up to a robot to filter (laughs) his blood Mm -hmm. he also he has i'm sorry no, it's okay. I was just going to say, I think James Urbaniak does, like, a killer job of that. Yeah. Mm. He has, like, his dad voice that he uses with the the boys, but I think he... I forget who he's talking to, but he says about how they're going to get a hot little earful. <laughs> but he's also <laughs> using his dad voice. Like, he's scolding them. <laughs> yeah. 
I just, love, it's just things like that that he yeah. says, like that and tripolar disorder. And it makes sense as to why the boys talk the way they do. Yeah. Is because Rusty is just so chock full of these insane, like, um, like idioms and things where it's like, where the, f- when <laughs> the fuck did this guy grow up? <laughs> yeah. And it speaks back to their writing quality, right? Where you give characters unique voices. Mm-hmm. And you can be like, oh, that's such a rusty thing to say. Or like, of course, Brock would phrase it that way. Right. As opposed to something more generic where like you could put that line in any character's mouth and it would feel at home. They really like make the individual voices uh, very unique. Right. Yeah. So um, we're at the scene now in which... Uh, we get to really see the monarch's heart, you know, and how he like is he cares about the boys in a weird way because he can't get in touch with Rusty. And he's like confiding in Dr. Girlfriend that he's just like he's like, you know, being angry, like the way that like you're ang- if you're angry about something and like you're venting to your partner as you go to bed. Yeah. And it's like, you know, he's he feels so bad that these kids have such a shitty father. And then it's, so this is the only time that we get to hear about what happened post plane crash to the monarch. Um, But uh, I, Aaron, I asked you last time, like jokingly, if there was any kind of like Shakespearean meter to the monarch's um, monologues. And you did a lot of wonderful research and found out some fun stuff. So do you want to do your uh, this uh, really is new segment I'm really excited about? You mean the Mighty Monarch meter moment? I, yes. Yes, that okay. one. Um, so I did find, I initially just did a scanning of one of his funnier lines from season six mm-hmm. and found that it's not necessarily like Shakespeare. It's not like iambic pentameter or anything like that, but there is a lot of like prosaic and poetic value to his lines. Okay. And I think that just probably comes naturally in the writing because he's a dramatic bitch. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, this time I, I did part of the speech when he's telling Dr. Girlfriend about um, how his parents died, and then how he grew up with the butterflies. I'll right. just read it real quick. Those were the halcyon days. I'd play with my butterfly brethren. I learned the mysterious secrets of their ancient ways, supping as their own young do on a, a steady diet of milkweed, thus assuring my toxicity to this day. So, on the first line, if we read halcyon as two syllables as opposed to three, which I guess you could argue... Um, it starts out with two dactylic feet, which is a stressed line or a stressed syllable followed by two unstressed syllables. Um, and then the next line, when he says, I'd play with my butterfly brethren, mm. he that's an I am at first, which is what Shakespeare typically wrote in. Um, but he mi- writes mostly in um, dactylic feet, anapestic feet, and iambic feet for the first three lines that I read. But then when he gets to supping on their... Um, as their own young do it's he it's a trochaic foot supping is uh stressed followed by unstressed and that's the first time we get like the beginning of a thought with that so it indicates some sort of turn and so and i think that that turn is important that change in um meter because that's when he is really talking about physically merging with the butterfly colony okay so when he starts eating their diet that's when the um, the mechanics change in the if we're calling it a poem. Okay, cool. And I, yeah, I like it because the butterfly meaning funny. No idea how to respond, but I'm 
fucking fascinating. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> he uses a lot of um, fricative alliteration with his S sounds. That um, word rules. Yeah, it, was, it does. It was it. Fricative. Fricative? Fricative. What does that it mean? It sounds like s and f and sh. Wait, that's, <laughs> the defi- that's what the word means? Sh- yes. So it's fricative. <laughs> Is like um, so. It's a sound. It's, it's a, a type of sound. It's, yeah. And what are those sounds? Shh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, for 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 like fricative. frick. Yeah. Because uh, so like fricative frack. is a fricative word. Ha, That's how ha, I learned ha, it in poetry ha. class. Nice. My bachelor's so degree in English is useful now, and that's it. Yeah. Only the, for this. <laughs> I. What else? What else did you need it for? You work at a hospital. Yeah. Why, why so you gotta be to like that? <laughs> so sorry, everybody. I mean, I'm I don't have a job. I <laughs> just do lost I. my job uh, about a week ago. So um, how dare you be part of the labor force? Yeah, fuck you, Aaron. We're anarchists. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> well, yeah, but anarchists have jobs too. That's true. There's a whole yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, he uses the um, fricative alliteration throughout. Um, like mysterious secrets of their ancient ways. Okay. Those sort of S sounds. And like I said, the, the trochee of supping is a strong start to that section of the poem. He also uses, um, not as often, but some plosives, like butterfly brethren, the B sound. Okay. Um, so I don't, I don't know if like the alliteration is always purposeful when they write his his lines, but it just... Even if it's not, I'm going to pretend like it is, and I'm going to treat sure. it like the monarch wrote this. Hey, the author's dead. Painstakingly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to roll and bart this shit. And then I looked up what milkweed is symbolic for. <laughs> oh, sick. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Which uh, I found the most common thing was the broken link between us and the natural world. So I thought of it like milkweed as an allegory for his severed connection with his feral past. Ah. Because uh, there is that tag at the end of his really sad story is like once the butterflies migrate, he just hops on a plane to New York and collects a fat inheritance. Exactly. Like he yeah. immediately just goes back to society, no problem, mm-hmm. gets a ton of money. And I think it's, I'm going to I'm gonna talk very obliquely about this. Okay. Because like we said, we don't want to get into any major spoilers. But I think it's interesting, in the first episode, that plane crash is like a very crucial point for the monarch yeah and in these early episodes like with the womb dreams Mm -hmm. and the the plane crash and the monarch's parentage like his biological parents yeah these are all like very big things that for the longest time because there was so much time between seasons watching it as it was airing it just felt like oh it's that's like not important it's just a detail to make it more feel feel more fleshed out yeah exactly you know it's like it doesn't matter that it's like when's it going to come up again that they took off from newark airport what's notable is that the crash happened in the pine barrens which is a location that has great significance in later in a later season yeah well and that's the thing we're not going to say any details or anything but it's interesting how you accept it (laughs) was it just pay attention (laughs) just keep it in the back of your mind take Uh, notes but it's interesting because it's the kind of thing where it doesn't feel like you're getting too much or too little backstory mm. and you just kind of accept it and move on. And then like way later in the more recent seasons, all the stuff starts coming back. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like what George Lucas was trying to do with the prequels. You know, it's all circular. It's all poetry. There's sure. symmetries to it. Uh, yeah, it's like, you know what? I watched a seven and a half hour Hungarian film last night or yesterday. Well, it was yesterday morning into the afternoon. It was a seven and a half hour long movie. Dance but, of the Devil? Yeah. It's that's what it's called. Look it up. No, it's Satan Tango. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's an amazing movie. But yeah, no circles. Hell yeah, dude! You, if you've seen the movie, then you were like, "Wow, that was a very <laughs> oversimplified explanation." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, that's because nobody. We're not talking about that." Right <laughs> Y'all think it's weird hmm. uh, that in the Hudsucker proxy, which is referenced in a Venture Brothers episode, so it's relevant. Okay, um, that. Tim Robbins like is presenting to the boardroom and he you know he pulls up his pad of paper and mm. he shows the circle and he says time is a flat circle <laughs> you know for kids <laughs> <laughs> yeah all good stuff I remember and love it, it, was a, it was a, that was a long walk to a bad joke <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's fine yeah it's all ab- it's about the journey not the destination, final destination. Oh, if God. you're all fans of this podcast, listen to Womack Dota. We talk about <laughs> but, that movie. Oh, God. Whenever but, you uh, say that as an acronym, it sounds like you're saying something else but played backwards. Yeah. yeah like I that think, Missy Elliott song. Womack Dota. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am the man from another place. <laughs> um, but so, yeah. After we get some monarch um, backstory, Doctor Girlfriend tells him to go love those boys. Yeah, because um, the monarch comes back to Mexico because he he didn't realize that they migrated to Mexico, and he <laughs> wants to reunite with his family. And after this really sad story, Doctor Girlfriend just says, "Oh, sweetie, butterflies only live nine about months. nine months," <laughs> and he's like. <laughs> and it goes back to like the shared thread between the monarch and Rusty mm-hmm. is they have a certain level of intelligence, but in another way, they're both kind of dunces. Oh, right? yeah. Because <laughs> they're so wrapped up in their own shit that yeah. it's like you you fucking know better, but you are not thinking at all. No, no. never. You're so distracted. No thoughts, head empty mm-hmm. 100% of the time. Yep. But then Clear get, eyes and full hearts. <laughs> we get to um, the wonderful scene of drunk Rusty at Brock's grave. Yep. Where his shrine brings him back to life. Because, well, we should talk about how Brock got there, now that I think about it, because we, we have we not talked as, about great, Speedy at all. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're right. And I we have notes talk about, about Speedy. Speedy, Speedy uh, yeah. the little henchman that couldn't quite. They set him up to be like a character like they're like speedy he looks different from all the other Mm -hmm. henchmen like when you watch an anime and somebody has pink hair you're like oh okay and like they give speedy like he's like got a goal yeah he has a name Mm -hmm. and then he just fucking dies and the monarch clearly (laughs) i made a note of that the monarch clearly has a special relationship with him Uh, because he's like very supportive of mm -hmm. speedy getting his wings like when speed's introduced like the monarch feels like you get a sense of compassion towards this one guy yeah. who's clearly a lower-level henchman because he doesn't have his wings yet. That's the big thing. Mm-hmm. Is Speedy just wants to earn his wings, right? And the monarch seems to really genuinely care for Speedy. Yeah. like he really. So Speedy is out with the fellow henchmen, mm-hmm. and they see the boys. Yeah, and, and Speedy is very gung-ho. 
he's like he wants to be like in charge yeah because he's gonna earn his really believes in the cause Mm -hmm. yeah and so speedy's voice also is like a little bit more of an exaggerated version of what would go on to be 21's voice Mm -hmm. um but is now also it's doc hammer um there's jackson does like a version of it in the pilot but now doc is doing voices yeah and it's interesting because in that scene there's two other henchmen one with a mustache Mm. one without a mustache and they are both, they both have the same 24 voice that Chris <laughs> McCullough does. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting because, like, the one guy says it, and it's like a Pete White, Billy situation where they're not really the characters we know them, but they're still, like, present. Yeah. So when the non mustachioed henchman was speaking, I was like, oh, that's 24. Sure. But then the mustachioed henchman starts speaking and it's the same voice and i was like well wait, wait hold on wait <laughs> i was just second. like oh nice 24 has a mustache but, <laughs> but they're it, two different it's henchmen's one and two yeah henchmen one and two that's what they are in the credits so speedy's gung-ho he's gonna kidnap the boys for the monarch and that's what's gonna get mm-hmm. him his wings and brock catches this oh yes and goes after speedy chokes him Mm -hmm. and this is so as he's running at them he's taking like a chest full of like the monarch um trank darts trank darts yeah (laughs) like 20 fucking trank darts which results in brock getting knocked out but his hand is still clenched around poor Speedy's throat. Mm-hmm. So Speedy is like, it's one of the most upsetting things I've seen it's, on television. Oh, yeah. Honestly, one of the more like upsetting moments in the Venture Brothers, I think, like yeah. as a whole. And it happens so all of a sudden you're like assaulted with this very sad thing mm-hmm. in the middle of this very silly, and then violent, just, but like fun violent. Yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh, oh jump no. back into the fun. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes you think about like these these are people with lives mm-hmm. and yeah. hopes and dreams, yeah. you know? And they're all they're just dashed by the Swedish murder machine. Yep. And well, you know what? As particularly Speedy's hopes and dreams cuz we got to hear about him. Yeah. yeah. Um but yeah, I love that when Brock climbs out of his grave, he still is clutching Speedy's body by the <laughs> <Yeah>. throat in <laughs> his fucking hand. Because they could not get Speedy, they could not free Speedy. No, so they, had to... they, they had to put him out of his misery. <laughs> I also think it's interesting that they bury Brock because the henchmen still, like, have respect for him. He is, like, a hallowed figure amongst henchmen. Yes. Yeah. So they, like, give him a proper burial. Mm-hmm. And we, I, we, I love when we get, like, hints of that later on in the series, the way that the henchmen, like, kind of revere Brock Sampson as, like, he's just an unstoppable force. Yeah. Because, you know, the show starts when it does, but Brock has been the Venture bodyguard for, like, 20 years. Yeah. You know? So he's been dealing with the monarch's henchmen for that entire time pretty much and not getting any worse at it as he ages no which is another thing Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) they like they think they talk about it on some on the uh commentaries but there's like brock can kill any human who does not have some sort of like superhuman ability in hand-to-hand combat brock wins oh yeah um you just give him a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Even there's a... Well, we'll get to that in Ghost of the Sargasso. Or, yeah, oh, I was going to say, or favorite of mine. I love butt. that fucking episode. Yeah. <laughs> but he has wait. nothing... He's wearing nothing in the opening scene of this, too. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he just has the... Both times, he just uses the cigarette. 
Yeah, or is maybe the suggestion maybe he's got a quite a powerful dong. The oh. boys seem to think so in careers in science. We'll oh, yeah. get to that. Also, I meant to bring that up. Uh, I didn't take a note. Ab- I actually did take a note about it. In hmm. the first scene, when he takes his underwear down, there's a boing sound. Oh, yeah. And one of the luchadors just immediately starts <laughs> applauding, mm-hmm. like instinctually just like, oh, bravo. Good job. I, That's yeah. a good dick. I would imagine that that would be the general response. You know, I yeah. can't imagine responding another way. Yeah, I wouldn't know what else to. No, I have no a, questions. Just, just no a, notes. Just oh, I'm proud of him. Yep. <laughs> and that's what I love about it. There's no like the other fellows are surprised. Mm-hmm. But that guy just instantly goes into, oh, no, I got to I got to give it up. Respect. I got to give it up for that dick. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. From there, we go and rescue the boys from the monarch. Yeah, we learn that chupacabras are real and. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're rampant. Yes. Uh, they're all over Mexico, as Brock says. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Very matter of factly. But the first so the first thing that Brock says when he gets out of the grave after drinking the rest of Doc's tequila is where are the boys? So that's like immediately like a like different from what we see him saying in the last scene of the pilot where he's like doesn't really care because he does say that at one point in the pilot he's like where are the boys monarch what do you do with the boys but then like forgets about it once he sees a prostitute Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and maybe like you were saying with how you have a headcanon about him trying to make up for being mean to rusty maybe we could bridge the gap between the pilot and this episode by being like oh something bad happened when he didn't care that one time yeah yeah about what was happening to the boys so now he's like extra vigilant he's like i can't slip up again and that's his job, and mm. he takes his job very seriously. So for him to, like, you know, go off the clock yeah. and, like, not care about the boy's safety, mm-hmm. I yeah. think you're right. Probably did sit, like, poorly with him, and he's trying to be be a better Brock. Yeah, and then it's also at this point in the, like, chronology of, like, the Venture family, the they've seen the boys die, like, so many times, yeah. you yeah. know, that there has to be a part of Brock... <laughs> That sometimes is just like, I mean, wh- what, whatever, because if yeah. th- they die, then they just come back. And yeah. I imagine it's not because of the boys that he feels tired out by that. He's probably just a little bit tired of working for Rusty. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. 100%. It's, it's all Rusty, definitely. Cause... You know, as much as there as a affection as there is between those two, I think he mm-hmm. definitely is like, fuck this guy. <laughs> well, yeah, it's um when they talk about... uh uh uh, later on in season seven somebody uh they're reading somebody's like rap sheet and it says that so and so was assassinated after attempting to strangle rusty venture and brock (laughs) is just like been there so it's like he has that relationship with doc where but they also grew mustaches together they did there's like like in um In uh, the hospital, uh, in uh, the Return to Spider Skull Island, at the end of season, in the season finale of season one, when the doctor is like, "Are you his partner?" and Brock's just like doesn't even think about. It. He's like, "No, it's more like I work for him," and he like doesn't yeah. even. He's just like so like Rusty is you know the long. That's the longest relationship that he's ever had. Yeah, which is, and then yeah, he probably is like, "Oh God, mm-hmm. <laughs> is it really?" Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we get the wonderful, uh, oh, I love when Doc gets attacked by the Chupacabra and Brock 
just pins it to the wall with the knife that he <laughs> yeah. throws, and he goes, quit screwing around. <laughs> yeah, me too. I love how he chastises Rusty for getting attacked by a chupacabra. Yeah. <laughs> I also, uh, Fast and Furious, I believe it was nine, completely rips off this episode, because Brock goes backwards out of the plane in the car uh-huh. and there's a, like they steal that there's that same scene yeah and i love the joke of uh he engages the parachute so doc is like oh cool we're floating safely mm-hmm. and then disengages it immediately to drop through like he just needed to cool the velocity down a little bit to crash through <laughs> the cocoon but still not he doesn't need it the whole time right which is one of many scenes where uh, someone will drive Brock's charger through the cocoon. Yeah. Isn't, or, isn't this the one where the, the wipers have, like, he takes the blood off the windshield? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that gag. <laughs> like, he's, so much. He's driving around the cocoon, running over henchmen. Yeah. Because they... They, they hit me with a truck. Exactly. <laughs> That's what they did to finally just, get him unconscious. Like, let me just flick on the wipers. <laughs> um... But I think that one of the greatest illustrations of Doc's callousness and, um, like, just disregard for anybody else is the realization that he can take one kidney from each of his sons. Oh, yeah. So he gets two. Yeah, it's real. when they're reunited, uh, Brock is murdering all the henchmen, mm-hmm. and they... They all there's a group hug between the ventures. Yeah, he very creepily like lifts their shirt up and is like squeezing the sides where their kidneys are. Yeah, he's not excited that to see the boys. He's excited to see their organs. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Gain. In rewatching it, I was like, oh, and then I was like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, and then although it could be because he has other ones, you know, brewing. Yeah, that will have both their kidneys. Kind of what I thought too. I was like, I mean, yeah, it's true still fucked up it is and it's it's horrible it's a great gag though when they get back on the plane and rusty is like talking that he's gonna need a kidney from like one of them Mm -hmm. and he hasn't decided who yet and then he just realizes oh i can take one from each and get both back so this is my thinking though is because they they rock paper scissors hank and dean rock paper scissors to decide who it was and then we cut to credits and then they tied. <laughs> oh! So because they tied, Doc was like, hey, well, there's no winner. So, so you both had to- He had to teach them, you know, they, they bet their kidneys and they both lost, you know? I also think it's an interesting thing, and this is such a small detail and mm. probably not intentional, but they don't rock, paper, scissors. They rock, scissors, paper. <laughs> yeah, and wh- I hadn't heard that, and it, like, rung, like, strange to me. Sure. And I think that's funny that, like, the boys are so out of step that they have their it's like a very small change yeah but it just goes to show that they're like really in their own insulated world yeah absolutely and doc is he just feels great and is like he doesn't give a fuck and i've got two new kidneys Mm -hmm. sidebar about rusty i've we talk a lot of shit about him on here yeah yeah, it should be noted that it is Without, like, I love Rusty so much. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, <laughs> yeah. 100% Rusty is a wonderful character. Yeah. One of my favorites, without a doubt. But he is a bad person. Oh, he's terrible. Uh, but I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. yeah. So and no one thinks we're insulting the character. Sure. 
Because they're fair. also painfully human, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And we all see qualities in these characters that we see in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole thing. We don't have to let those qualities get us down. We just got to learn from them and grow. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful message for beautiful people. Hell yeah. <laughs> Which is all of you listening. Thank, Thank you. So we had no Richard Impossible in this episode, so we can't... Can't do that segment. Do that segment. Um, bunch of voices from Jackson uh, about maybe eight or nine because they give him like Mexican wrestlers is one of the credits and then henchmen one and two. Yeah. But uh, just two voices from Doc. Two voices from Michael Center Nicholas, two, yeah, who normally doesn't true. do additional voices. Mm-hmm. I like when they give Urbaniac or like, you know, uh, Steve Tazzy, Tazzy, yeah, um, like other characters to play. Uh, like I love uh, Enzo. Oh my god! Oh yes. yeah! And uh, y'all, we'll get- uh, audience members, will uh, who are not up to Enzo yet, uh, will get to meet him in season six. Wait it out; it's worth it. Yeah, I yeah. believe six is when he first pops up. That's when they move to the city, right? Yep. Yeah. So then, yeah. Hell yeah. But I guess that's uh, that's that for another week of a very venture rewatch. Yeah, well, I have nothing new to plug. No, um, we're gonna. There's gonna. We recorded another episode of What Max and Carnage on their podcast. Hell yeah! So that will be returning. Yes. Uh, Call and- it season two if you want. We won't. <laughs> no, because I don't. I don't feel like we've recorded enough episodes to nope. give ourselves that credit. <laughs> <laughs> it's firmly season one territory. Yeah. Um, but yeah, follow us at a very, at very venture pod. Mm-hmm. Aaron's crushing it. Rock I love it. Thank you. It's great to see those, all the fun, all the funny memes every day. They bring me joy. <laughs> oh, I have so many in the drafts. Fuck yeah. I'm trying to save it though. Yeah. I don't even know how to do drafts on Twitter. You have to try to tweet, tweet something, but don't send it, hit cancel. And then it asks you if you want to get rid of it or save yes. it as a draft but then you have to be careful when you go into your drafts because there is a button that will tweet all of them oh god oh, my god. <laughs> oh i have some bad ones in there i gotta be sure be not careful to do that because you can accidentally tweet everything that is in your drafts at once holy shit it can there's happen. a lot of stuff that some like serious literature world people follow me Damn. now and i'm like i don't want them to <laughs> yeah so let that be a psa to all of you before you go just mm-hmm. be wary of your drafts folder yeah and uh we'll see you next time we'll see you next time i love bye. you bye bye bye